just got done with editing show number three. This is, I think, the fourth one I've edited. Gotta tell you, editing is not the best part. Conversations with these people are the best thing. This podcast is awesome. I love doing it. I get a kick out of it. What I hate doing is editing. And uh, I'm going to Southeast Asia for six weeks here, leaving March 23rd. Probably get back around May. Just doing a backpack, going to Thailand, going to Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam. Um, And so I'm trying to book these ahead of time and get these out so we can post while I'm away and not leave you hanging in limbo for six weeks. Um, And so uh, I've just been doing these back to back to back to back. So I've been staring at a screen. The reason I'm telling you this is probably because I'm in the middle of it right now. Um, just filling you in on insider information. And also, if, if any of you have any travel tips, hopefully by the time this comes out, I won't be there. Send them to Clark at PaleoHacks.com. If you guys have been to Thailand or Vietnam or Laos or Cambodia, or if you live there, let's meet up. Let's get coffee or something. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. Probably like March 23rd, I'll be over there. Clark at PaleoHacks.com, place to reach me, PaleoHacks.com. Check out the form there. If you have questions, they got answers. I've been looking over it and just seeing the depth that people dive into for a simple question is really amazing. So that's at PaleoHacks.com. Just click on the form button right there and you can get any question answered for free. People are, are, are giving you expert advice for free. Um, really in-depth stuff. So check it out. All right. You ready for the show? I'm ready for you to hear it. Let's go see what Chris has to say. Shelzy, correct? Yes. Well oh. done. All right, Paleo Hackers. <laughs> with me today is a special guest, Chris Shelzy, over at Pavlock, marketing specialist here today to talk about habit change, habit formation, and kind of his story and what Pavlock is all about. So, Chris, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. So, you're in a co-working space you called it i am yeah it's called WeWork, and they have a bunch of different startups in here doing all sorts of crazy things and it's, it's a good place to be i'm in boston right now okay okay and uh clearly there's a bunch of formulas he's trying to solve the uh <laughs> einstein equation in the background right there hello goodwill hunting goodwill hunting yeah is that what's going on oh yeah it's not it's not an official working space unless you got at least something with formulas on it so congratulations <laughs> exactly. Thank you. We've made it. That's how you know. Well, that's like the new tech sphere. The old school, if you want to go for more of like a deep philosophical look, you get a bunch of books in the background, (laughs) you know? Yeah, now it's just zeros and ones across all the screens. (laughs) Yeah, that's like Silicon Valley-esque kind of thing. Yeah. (laughs) So cool. What's what's going on these days? Are you at the Pavlok place and are you working with them? Yeah, we are at Pavlok. Headquarters downstairs. We got about five people going right now. Um, and it's good. We're going to be shipping our device in April. And so Pavlock is basically a wearable device, helps people break bad habits using electric shock. So whether it's smoking, it's drinking, it's biting your nails, cursing, eating junk food, anything like that, we, we kind of use different technologies and behavioral science to help people quit those habits. Okay. So people who are looking to make changes and they realize that uh, maybe willpowering themselves through it and nothing changes. And, you know, they try and rather on a diet, they try to avoid the sweets in their cupboards, but no matter what 10 o'clock comes around, boom, they're going after it again. Or, or people who can't go to the gym for whatever reason, you know, they, they put their shoes by their bed, but for whatever reason, they don't go to the gym. Boom. So you guys have kind of tried to fill in the gap between knowledge and action. 
at Pavlok? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because so many people, exactly like you said, they'll say, I'm going to eat really well. I'm not going to have ice cream when I get home from work. Sure. But without realizing kind of how finite willpower really is. And so, you know, they, they wake up late, they eat, you know, bagel and coffee for breakfast, and then they're stuck in traffic, and their boss is yelling at them. And they have all these things where they're using up their willpower reserves, and they get home, and they're just like, screw it. I'm just going to have some, some ice cream. I don't care. I'll right. fix it tomorrow. Right. And so we're trying to use different, different behavioral techniques to help people change those things and kind of figure out where the where those gaps in knowledge lie and how we can fill them in. Okay. And so one of the techniques and tools you guys came up with was electric shock therapy, correct? <laughs> yeah, it sounds kind of crazy, but it, it absolutely works. I mean, it works on dogs, so why wouldn't it work on humans? We're, we're all animals. And so, yeah, it has a so wristband. I should probably be wearing one right now. It's probably bad that I'm not. But um, we have very few in office, so we're shipping them out to a bunch of early customers. Okay. Um, but yeah, so if you're smoking a cigarette, you just get a small electric shock as you bring it to your mouth. Or eating junk food, same thing. And so just helping people have that presence of mind and that awareness to help them kind of catch themselves as opposed to, you know, I step outside my office building and I'm just so automatically drawn to taking my pack of cigarettes out right. and lighting one up. It's right. giving you that kind of presence of mind in the moment. Okay. And so how does it work then? How does it sense that you're about to take your pack out and smoke a cigarette? So for the sensors, for things like that, we haven't built those out yet, but the, um, the ones that we are tracking are things like online productivity. So Rescue Time, which is an app that tracks your online productivity. Yeah. Uh, we plug into that. So if you drop below a certain productivity, you can get shocked, uh, helping people get to inbox zero. So it can basically vibrate, beep, and shock. So if you have more than 15 unread emails, it can vibrate. More than 30, it can beep. More than 50, it can shock you. You can play around with those values. Um, we've developed an iPhone app to help people wake up on time. So you want to wake up at seven o'clock at six 45, it can start vibrating six fifty, beeping seven o'clock shock you. And for other habits, things like, uh, for smoking, eating junk food, the way that works is just developing the presence of mind. So as you're doing it, we have a five day course, five day program. So you pick the bad habit, you say smoking. As you bring your hand to mouth to smoke once a day, you're going to click the button. It's going to deliver a shock. You just do that for the first cigarette of the day. And we found that people in five days have been able to stop smoking, mm. eating, you know, tortilla chips, drinking beer. It's, it's been pretty crazy. Results have been astonishing. Yeah. And so, so you had a sample size and you had them use their wristband and uh, pull it out and shock themselves when they would do a cigarette. Or how, how did that work? I'm just kind of confused. Yeah. So we did a, did a sample in-house with a group of people doing it for various habits. It would be once a day, you would sit down, whether it's in the morning or kind of the usual time that you perform that habit. So if it's your first cigarette of the day is normally right after breakfast, yeah. and right after breakfast, you're going to take the wristband out, take the audio sessions, which are a part of the app, you're going to listen to it, and it's going to walk you through it. So it's going to say, take out the cigarette, shock yourself, take a puff, click the button, shock yourself. And you're going to go through the process of smoking okay. and um, doing the same thing. And then we're also working with a Boston-based hospital that's going to be doing a, a smoking cessation trial. Okay. And how many people like actually stopped smoking in that trial? I mean, I know you're in the early phases of the research development, but do you have any like results that were really surprising? Yeah, like, it was about... Yeah, it was 80% successful, um, which was pretty pretty crazy for us. We... We were just testing it out to see if it was going to be effective for smoking, and we found that it's more effective than, you know, Chantix, which is the drug that people use to quit smoking, or hypnosis, 
and uh, Nicorette patches, all those different things don't don't come close to this. Yeah. So 80% of like, what was your sample size? We had 10 people in-house doing the study. Okay. So eight people. Uh, yeah. Cool. And, and you guys are in the process of like making bigger studies and stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So we're working with MIT. We're trying to build out a study with as well as some other Boston-based hospitals. And then there's a group of students and nurses at another local hospital that are doing a smoking cessation trial as well. And the, the results, they started that about a month ago. Yeah. The results have been pretty impressive as well. So some, somewhere around what we just shared. So I picked up the book in an airport, The Power of Habit. I'm sure you guys have that and give it out religiously over at Pavlock. Um, probably have a big poster of Charles in, sitting there in the office. Do five hail, hail Charles when you walk in every day. Oh, so, for sure. So that book was really cool. It was entertaining. And um, it brought up, it centered it around the habit cue, habit, no, the cue routine reward loop, that three-piece loop of kind of habits. So touch on that real quick. I'll, I'll let you, the habit expert, go into that. Um, what, what does that mean? And how did Pavlock kind of fit into that? Yeah, so, cue routine so the, reward. the cue routine reward is basically the cycle for, for how a habit what a habit is really. So there's the cue also known as the trigger, kind of what is causing you to perform that habit. So if you're going to say, let's say ice cream, maybe it's getting home from work. That's your cue. The routine is actually performing that action. So taking a bite of ice cream and the reward is whatever you're getting out of that. So whether it's kind of the, uh, like the dopamine rush in your brain, or it's just a feeling of at peace or you're sitting down, relaxing, you feel good. And that kind of completes the habit cycle. So one thing you can do to break a bad habit is basically the replacing the routine with something more beneficial. So you're still getting the same reward and it's still activated by the same trigger. So instead of getting home and eating ice cream, you're eating a frozen bowl of berries instead of, instead of the ice cream. And then you're getting the same reward of feeling relaxed, having something to eat, chewing on something cold, but it's, it's much better for you. Okay. So the cue of, I want to smoke a cigarette because it's morning, the routine of pulling the cigarette out and the reward of smoking it and getting the nicotine rush is kind of yeah. the loop. And you can apply that to any habit in your life, whether it be working out or like you were mentioning dietary changes or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then one thing we're also doing basically with Pavlock is not just to replace the behavior with something else. So instead of replacing ice cream with berries, sure. we're trying to address the actual craving and making you not desire that anymore. So one thing that a lot of people talk about is how you can't actually break a habit. You can only replace it with something new. But what we're doing is trying to get to the core of that and address that so you can end the habit without just needing to replace it. So with smoking, you're getting shocked every time you smoke. You no longer want to smoke or have the desire. It's no longer enjoyable. You're not Hmm. getting the reward out of it that you used to. Is there research saying we can actually eliminate habits completely because i was like you said i was under the impression that they just swap forms and you know you might not be smoking now but you're drinking or you might not be uh you know uh eating ice cream every morning but you're meditating or you're working out or something you know they swap so they upgrade you get healthier and healthier and healthier but what you're saying is that you can actually completely eliminate them is is there like research on that or how how is pavlok kind of getting down to the the root of it yeah so it's called aversion therapy and it's actually been around for a very long time using electric shock to to break certain 
behaviors. Um, and it's been very effective. Most of the research was done in the 60s, but the, the reason it's kind of gone out of style is because it was used for some very controversial things like trying to change homosexuals and kind of make people become straight. And it was clearly not effective for that. Very controversial, lost all the funding, and it yeah. went out of style. No one, no one really wants to talk about it for obvious reasons. But nonetheless, it doesn't change how effective it is. So this isn't something new that we've developed. It's been around for a long time. We're just kind of rediscovering that and applying it in a user-friendly device that people can use. Because before you had to use a big laboratory, go in, have doctors and everybody applying it because it was you know, a huge, huge machine. And now it's just on your wrist. Okay. And so with the aversion therapy then, how, how did that work? What were they doing and um, obviously, you know, with homosexuals trying to make them straighter or what have you. But what does aversion therapy look like now in the modern day? Yeah, so it's very much not done as much anymore as it was. Um, but the way they were using it, you know, back then was similar. We're basing our, our methods off a similar protocol that was done specifically at the Schick Scheidel Treatment Center, where they used it for, for heroin, for drinking, for cigarette addiction, and they had a similar a five to 10 day program and people would come in, they would go through these aversion therapy sessions yeah. where they're getting the, like a mild electric shock. It's nothing, nothing brutal. It's not, you know, going crazy. The, the shock is similar to what we're using is if you were running on a carpet with your socks and you touch a metal doorknob and just get that little zap. It's more the kind of the present state awareness than the actual pain of it. Yeah. But what they were doing was doing that for five to 10 days and they found that you know, the, the results were astonishing within, after doing a week or so of those trials with the electric shock, they were able to quit smoking at a like 80 or 90% success rate immediately after the study. And then they did a follow-up 18 months later and 50% of people were no longer smoking. Oh, yeah. And so with the name then Pavlov, you know, an aversion therapy, I'm assuming it comes from Pavlov's dogs, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So, so associating a certain uh, behavior with so the shock with the bad habit, and then mm-hmm. you're you're breaking that. So it was the the dinner bell and the salivation. Right. We're associating the the negative behavior with a negative kind of impact of the shock, and so you no longer want to perform that undesired action. And and break that down real quick. So Pavlov's dogs were um, the Pavlovian response. Kind of comes from comes from where for the people listening yeah. at home who are familiar. Yeah, Ivan Pavlov, who was a, a Russian scientist, and he did an experiment where he had dogs, and he would ring a bell and then give them dinner. And he did this enough time so that at just the ringing of the dinner bell, they would start to salivate because they associated the bell with the food. And so similar to us, we're associating the, the shock with the bad habit. So you get kind of that that fear or aversion response every time you even think about the the craving for a cigarette or junk food. Okay. Okay. And I'm assuming then uh, with that response and it goes into the Q routine reward loop, you're trying to create the new associations so that that ringing of the bell doesn't make the person salivate for, you know, speaking figuratively or whether it be the ringing of the bell doesn't make them want to smoke. The ringing of the bell doesn't make them want to eat cheesecake you're trying to use the Padlovian response and kind of swap it in there in the Q routine reward loop. Yeah. So trying to get them instead of to kind of chase the reward, they no longer see a reward coming from that habit. Okay. So instead of smoking to get a nicotine response, they see smoking 
and shock. And so it's just they don't even want to have anything to do with it. It's not seen as something they're not trying getting anything out of it. You're trying to link your brain to certain uh, anchors that maybe aren't the same ones as you had. Like a lot of people link pleasure to their cigarette, but you're trying to get that change the association to link to anchor it towards maybe pain or shock or something. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you have kind of your your prefrontal cortex, your human brain, and then the basal ganglia, which is like the reptile brain. And it doesn't respond to, to anything but pain and pleasure. It chases pleasure and it runs away from pain. Sure. And that's kind of just your instinctual responses. And so we're basically tapping into that. Someone's not going to, if they know that cigarette brings shock, they don't want to go towards cigarette. They're running away from that pain. Okay, for sure. And I'm Assuming then, you know, you get the question, well, why do you need the shock? Why is that more effective than just will powering through it? Or can't you change habits naturally? I'm sure people have said, um, what's kind of the success rate of trying to willpower through it or versus, you know, aversion therapy or, or why is aversion therapy maybe for lack of a better word, a better way, but a more effective way than just trying to willpower yourself through things. Yeah. I mean, as we talked about earlier, willpower is a a very finite resource and people, that's one thing people really don't understand. They think it's just about like grit and pushing through and I can will myself to do this. I can will myself to break this habit, but that's kind of happening in your more human brain where you're making these, what you think are rational decisions. And I can just tell myself I'm not going to do it and I'm going to stick to it. But willpower gets depleted. The reptile brain kicks in. It's just like, I just want pleasure. I just want to eat ice cream. And it just it overrides everything else. So to break a to make or break a habit, current research shows that it takes if it's an easy habit, it can take about thirty days. A harder habit can take about sixty six days. So not only are we getting people to stick to them more permanently, we're getting them to kind of shortcut all of that to to a week or less. Okay, and the finite resource of willpower um, that was also in the book, The Power of Habit, and he did. Uh, I don't know if you remember the study in there. I forget who who it was. It was I think Mark Mervin was doing the study where he had a bunch of people go into a lab, university age students. I think it was sixty one college kids, and they would um, not eat before, and they would go into the room, and there'd be two bowls, and they were either in one of two groups: the radish group or the cookie group, and they could only eat from the bowl, the radishes or cookies of the ones they were assigned, and then afterwards. They gave them a, a puzzle. So basically they used up all their willpower if they're in the radish group not eating the cookies because they were hungry and they were warm and they wanted to go for those. But if they're in the cookie group, they didn't really have to use willpower. So they didn't eat the radishes. They just ate the cookies and it was great. They got a free lunch. And they gave mm-hmm. them like an unsolvable puzzle and timed how long it took them to give up since it's impossible to solve. And they mm-hmm. found that the um, – I think it was the cookie group who didn't use their willpower – lasted 18 minutes and the radish group lasted eight so to kind of go with the finite resource of willpower you know basically if you use it up on something like not eating the cookies you're gonna have a lot less of it and it depletes it but if you don't have to use it because you ate the cookies and not the radishes then you can last a lot longer and that's kind of you know such is life yeah and that study is so so interesting because it's kind of a double hitter so people are using their willpower not only to to resist the radishes, 
but the people who eat the cookies, there's, there's a link to uh, glucose and blood sugar and willpower. So they're getting that glucose burst and it's also increasing their willpower. So it's also kind of when you wake up in the morning, you have breakfast, you're ready to go, your glucose or your blood sugar is all stabilized. And so you have higher, higher amounts of willpower, but then you get to the end of the day, you might be eating junk food throughout the day. So your blood sugar is going up and down and crashing. Yeah. Um, there was another study that I think he mentions or uh, Baumeister who wrote, Dr. Roy Baumeister who wrote Willpower, um, which is an amazing book. Yeah. And he talks about this study where there were there were these uh, judges and they measured how the judges responded to different uh, convicts coming in or potential felons, I guess, uh, for the same crime. And they found that the judges who made the rulings before lunch had a much harsher penalty for the same crime than if they had ruled on that crime after lunch because they just had kind of basically their willpower restored, got their yeah. blood sugar up, increased the, the glucose in their bloodstream. Which is, which is crazy how like somebody, people think they're so rational. They think they can make these decisions and they're going to be fair and just and objective yeah. without understanding this completely other side to their, their personality that everybody has. It's kind of this Jekyll and Hyde sure. and people, by understanding that you have that in you, that you can come up with strategies to deal with it as opposed to just telling yourself you're completely rational and then having these things kick in where you're eating a bowl of ice cream at the end of the night and cursing yourself because you can't figure out what happened. Yeah, we do think we're rational. We think we know it all. And no one's eating the chocolate cake first thing when they wake up in the morning or the cheesecake or the Ben and Jerry's. They're eating it late at night when they've depleted everything and the Jekyll Hyde kicks in and they go with one or the other and they, they feel like crap. And the lather and repeat, the cycle probably continues. And I think... Yeah, uh, exactly a lot of guilt and shame gets thrown in there too. People take it on themselves. We're already hard on ourselves already. And uh, whether it be with body image issues or even feeling like crap because you gave in or you couldn't willpower through it. Like you see the person on television telling you to in the infomercial, you know, you can do it. And if you can't do it, you feel like crap. And so it kind of, you, you kind of have that, oh, whatever mentality and, and you just give in more easily now because you think you get that identity that you're the person who just gives in to things or you're the person who just can't willpower through it. And that becomes your identity and um, almost gives you a justification to keep doing an unhealthy habit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's one of the things when we work with, we also do coaching with, with some of our early clients. That's one of the first things we tell them, just like, it's going to be okay. People are going to slip with their habits, especially when they're getting going with it and it's all new to them. And you really have to go easy on yourself and forgive yourself when you make these mistakes and know that kind of that the all or nothing fallacy where it's like, I either I can't eat cookies at all or if I I have one, then I'm going to eat the entire bag and I screwed it all up. It's like, no. You can choose to stop eating the cookies right now. You don't have to have another one. You can you can have a clean slate and start over tomorrow. It's just, I mean, the Alcoholics Anonymous. You take it one day at a time. You don't have to say, I'm not going to eat cookies for the rest of my life. I'm just going to make the decision to not have them now. And one of, there's another really interesting um, study that Baumeister talks about in Willpower is how they found that people who delay the satisfaction, so they say, I'm not going to, I'll have a cookie later. I'm just not going to have it right now. They're not saying I'll never have them. I'll just have one later. That, that almost, that starts to complete the kind of the reptile brain of pleasure. It's almost like Hmm. you're receiving the pleasure of having the cookie, even though you've delayed it. You're just saying, I'm going to have it later. So you know, you're going to have it. And so things like that can be very powerful. So delaying the gratification then? 
Yeah, but not even having to fulfill it. Just telling yourself in the moment, like, if I'm having the craving right now, Mm -hmm. I'll have a cookie in 10 minutes if I still have the craving. I'm going to go for a walk right now. I'll walk around for 10 minutes, or I'm going to do 20 push-ups, or I'm just going to focus on something else for 10 minutes. If I still want the cookie, then I'll have the cookie. But having strategies in place to, to deal with those urges when they come on, as opposed to just trying to willpower through it and say, ah, when they come up, I'll deal with them then. Right. One thing for the person listening at home, it might sound kind of funny to have a you know 30-minute call of us talking about cookies and cheesecake and Ben and & Jerry's, but like, I, I think it's a real eye-opener when you realize how your habits control your life. And we are just a bundle of habits. And if you want to upgrade your life, you need to upgrade your habits. And it can be habits such as bad habits like smoking and the obvious things or staying up late at night. But it can be good habits too, like doing morning rituals or fundamentals or exercising or eating clean where you can center your life around good habits. Um, So when you're making habit changes then with clients or people having a Pavlock on them and they no longer have that habit or the bad one, insert the blank, what do you tell them to add in? What are some of the most frequently added in habits that you recommend that uh, the trial group or the test group go through? Yeah, so one of my favorite things to do that I recommend to to as many people will listen is having a morning routine. Like I think morning routines are so important and it's talked about a lot, um, but I think it's, it's worth talking about a lot because it has a lot of value. And so yeah. what I do and what I tell people to do is you just make a list of you know five to seven things that you want to do in the morning that are going to set you up for a better day and you block off at least an hour for it. And I mean, I have mine written on my on my window with some some erasable markers and I just have it there. And so I can wake up in the morning, go through it. And so let's see, what do I have? I have wake up, make my bed, make some coffee, foam roll, kettlebell swings, do my five minute journal, uh, read, meditate, and then kind of make a list of my three big wins for that day. And so within that, you know, you're doing something for your mind, you're reading, you're reflecting while you're meditating uh, and doing your journal, you're doing some, some physical activity to kind of get yourself going, get yourself in the zone. Um, and then you're setting your, so you're kind of making a to-do list of the three big wins and figuring out how you're going to set up your day. Yeah. So that way, you know what's coming up. You're not just, I'm going to open up my email and I'll deal with whatever comes in. You're, right. you're establishing your day for yourself you know what you want to accomplish as opposed to letting kind of your email in the world decide what you're going to do that day. Yeah. So you're playing to win, not, not just playing not to lose and you're being um, active and not passive. You're not just responding to the emails coming in or most people lay in bed guilty of it myself. I mean, this past summer I was a slob. I mean, I, just, I, I scrapped my morning routine and laid in bed and I would just grab the phone. And as soon as the alarm would go off, I'd, I'd start browsing emails in bed or, instagrams or facebook's or whatever twitter's um and it's easy it's 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 almost becomes your default and i noticed after i don't know a week of doing that that was my morning routine it's like great my new morning routine isn't meditating reading and journaling it's twitter facebook and instagram good job clark and so i think that again letting your defaults um and being really mindful of your habits kind of what we've been talking about is important because otherwise you kind of uh, go back to the minimal almost. Yeah. And so exactly. So a habit is basically what your default setting is. Like a habit is when it's easier to do that action than to not do it. Like if you get into the yeah. routine of doing a push up every time you kind of 
put your kettle on the stove in the morning or whatever. You do one push-up every time you do it. After, you know, five or 10 or 15 days, that's going to be your default. And it's going to be harder to have the willpower to resist doing that than just automatically doing it. So, so how did you turn your morning routine around? Uh, it's still not where it wants to be. Okay. Man. I mean, I still want to take it to the next level. I, there was a point in time where I would wake up, do my meditation five minutes. I used a cue. So I would anchor the meditation to a song. It was an instrumental song and I would just sit there and I didn't have any requirements. I just, I just meditated for five minutes. Um, I found that setting the quota really low made me do it more often and the reward of that was I could have my coffee after I meditated. So that was kind of my habit. And then I would, you know, journal, read, do some similar stuff as you did. But currently right now, it's not there. I just kind of wake up and, and feel it out and got some stuff to do. But definitely adding it back in is is something. Um, maybe I need a Pavlock thing to help me, help yeah. me out on well- there. We'll hook you up. Was there was there yeah. one was there a reason it fell off? Did like something happen? Did you travel or Yeah, traveling and yeah. then definitely um changing locations I moved. And okay. um I th- I think you're right, man. I mean some t- it's it's that one day that you fall off and then it's harder to get back on and it grows exponentially the longer you're off of it. And yeah. so um instead of getting on the next day when you fall off listening at home you know someone might think oh i didn't exercise this day i'll i guess i'm not an exercise person anymore you know new year's resolutions i'm in the 92 percent that fall off no like you can get back on the next day and so um i've slowly started to incorporate it tried to analyze is this really what i wanted to do in terms of forming a habit because i don't know if you can relate to it but i think a lot of times you can still link pain to habits for instance with meditating there would be some mornings I woke up and just instead of being grateful that I got to meditate or excited that I was going to meditate, it still felt painful. It still felt like I got to meditate so I can get that coffee. You know, I committed to this. Oh, this sucks. There was still some weird neuro association with pain and meditation and I'm not sure where that was. So I've been trying to figure that out. Yeah, that's a, it's kind of like when you really don't want to go to the gym, but then once yes. you get in there and you do one set and then you're feeling good and then you walk away and you're always so grateful you did it. Like you either get the reward of the coffee or just like breaking a good sweat. It's just getting yourself in the door, just taking those two steps forward yeah. to start that habit. That's so important. But but what you said is really important, how, how the traveling affects it. And that's another huge thing, traveling or moving. Yeah. And so when I moved into my new apartment, like knowing what I know because of what we're working on, I knew how important it was to like establish good routines in my new apartment. Otherwise, because kind of wherever you set them up, that's where they're going to be until you make a concerted effort to change them. Yeah. So I made sure, you know, I stocked my fridge with all, all the right food. I made sure that I was doing my morning routine like that first week yeah. and wasn't using screens after like 10 or 11 o'clock. And that's what, and being able to do that and know that really helps you set yourself up for success and the same with traveling like one thing a lot of we often recommend if someone's going to be traveling is like when you get up in the morning first time like wake up at the right time and then do some form of exercise so you just get into the habit of waking up doing something good for yourself as opposed to just kind of being a slob and letting being dictated by wherever you're traveling to and who you're with it's amazing how your environment really shapes your new habits and when you move places something so radical as changing everything all at once 
it's really easy to change your habits at that time. I noticed every single time I moved, I think I moved like 10 times in one year back in university once. I was just uh, moving around. It sucked. I mean, I was U-Haul's, yeah. U-Haul's best customer. <laughs> and I know how to pack a mean box now. <laughs> but anyway, I mean, every time I did, I, everything down to the foods I ate or the routines in the morning or the podcasts I listened to, they changed. And they didn't change when I was in that spot for an extended period of time. But as soon as I moved, bam, it's easier to change things. So is that have any research behind it in terms of like changing your environment to change every single habit? Oh yeah, it can. Yeah, there's definitely a bunch of research. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but that supports that your environment is a is a critical factor in how your how your habits are shaped. I mean, where yeah. the company where the company came from, Pavlock was Manish, the founder, Manish Sethi. He was after he got out of Stanford, he was traveling around the world, lived in like 14 different countries, was speaking five languages. But he was moving around so much that he had a really hard time setting up a routine and like a daily pattern and rituals. And he just found that his productivity was crap because he couldn't, he wasn't in a place long enough to be able to establish these things. And so, so that's where the idea came from. He wanted to build some system that would allow him to, to handle these different things. Okay. And so he built kind of Pavlock and he's in habit formation and I think when you were talking, I just uh, realized another thing. Going back to The Power of Habit, that book, it stuck with me. It was that they uh, target, the target study. You remember that chapter? For the for like the demographics of buyers? Yes. Is that what yes. you're talking about? Okay. Yes. And target would target pregnant women because that was <laughs> the one group that was most likely to change their buying habits, right? Because mm-hmm. we buy the same, whatever, 60 items in the supermarket our entire life. And brand mm-hmm. loyalty is very real and it's hard to get people to change. Talk about changing habits. I mean, we all buy the same things. I'm, you know, I go in and buy the 10 items or whatever. But they found that pregnant women were most likely to change their buying habits and their spending habits in the grocery mm-hmm. stores. And so they would target them because they're worth thousands and thousands of dollars over the course of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so they would spend all this money you know, analyzing data to try and see who was pregnant and, um, and it worked. I mean, they, they got pregnant women and so they spend millions of dollars a year targeting pregnant women to get their habits. Yeah. If anybody hasn't read the book, it's worth it just for that one section. Cause yeah. it's amazing. The, just the behavioral psychology that goes into that. And that brings up another point that we talked about your physical environment shaping things, but there's also life events, which is what the, what basically pregnant women is, Um, Going through a life event, marriage, pregnancy, all these different things, those have the power to impact your habits as well. And then your kind of your social environment, who you're hanging out with. So so the quote that's thrown around God on every podcast is the five people you spend the most time with. So they they end up shit. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So looking at who you're spending all of your time with, there's plenty of studies to show that your friend group determines so much about you. So if you have like overweight friends, chances are you're going to be overweight whether or not you were when you joined that friend group. And on the flip side of that, if you join a friend group who is very healthy and they're working out and they're eating well, people will often kind of revert to that and they'll either lose weight or they'll pick up healthier habits. So that's something that it's hard for people to want to look at, but it's something that's very important. Like no one wants to say their friends are a bad influence on them, but it's something you really need to think about. Or another thing is like your work environment. Like if people are spending, you know, 40, 60, 80 hours a day in an office where they're stressed out, 
They're sitting down all day under fluorescent lights where they don't get along with the people they're working at and their boss is belittling and they're, they're stuck in traffic to and from work. Like they're very real concerns that have really big health impacts. I mean, it was touted on the news a lot in the past couple of months about how sitting is worse for you than smoking cigarettes and it yeah. shortens your life expectancy. And so that's another kind of a life event, what your, what your career is. And so these are things that people really need to take seriously and not just put things with a just monetary price tag. I yeah. mean, time is, time is really all you have. And so you need to be able to look at things and evaluate them on more than just a monetary scale. Good point, man. And again, I love what you said about you are the average of the five people who hang around most and Jim Rohn. And you're right. That does get on every podcast and we kind of roll our eyes and we say, yeah, we know that. But, you know, there's a difference between knowledge and action. And I think when you say that, a lot of people use the excuse of, I'm not going to ditch my friends. I like them. And even if they're not the kind of people who read personal development books, meditate and eat green smoothies, I still like hanging around them. And that's fine. Like you don't have to change your friends radically and change your friend groups and say, I'm so much better than you and offend everyone. Mm-hmm. But what you can do is surround yourself, be proactive in surrounding yourself with podcasts or books or um, seminars or anything like that, or, or supportive YouTube videos. Like your top five people don't just have to be physical people in your environment. Like I, my top five people are sitting on my shelf. You know, I got Charles Duhigg in there. I got Tony Robbins in there. I got some Osho in there. I got, I got tons of people in there that I don't know. They're just influences on my life. It's, I I think it's like your top five influences and what you take in. Broke up. You there? Yeah. Still here. Hey, awesome. No, I I completely agree with exactly what you said. You can surround yourself in more than just physical people. And yeah, you don't have to get rid of friends. You can also get more friends. You can go to meetups and meet people there, whether it's for a paleo or a CrossFit or whatever you're into a yoga uh, you can find people that have healthy habits and bring them into your life. You can exactly what you said, reading, journaling, doing, uh, listening to podcasts, audiobooks, blogs, YouTube videos, all of that stuff is really good. And it's just having that, basically having sources that are bringing in these good ideas into your head. So you're thinking about the right things. And then even just knowing that the people and the information you surround yourself with, just knowing is half the battle. Once you know that, sure. you can see when those are when those things are coming into play. So you go out to dinner with your friends, they're all having pizza. You can be like, I don't want this to influence me. Like I'm not going to let it. I'm going to choose the healthier option. So Chris, to wrap up the call, kind of, um, we've been talking about habit changes, habit formation, surrounding yourself with the right influences. What are kind of some things off the top of your head, the most commonly prescribed ways you or action steps you give people when they come and they're looking to make habits do you have anything that really works based on research and based on your experiences that people can add in today to make their lives better yeah so so the first step i think is really having an honest conversation with yourself and really evaluating where you're at with things and figuring out what the things are that you need to work on like are you having issues with eating or going to the gym or stress or your relationships or your social skills, your friends, your career? Like what are the areas that are really bothering you? What are the areas that you have going really well in doing an honest evaluation with yourself to kind of gauge where you're at with things? Then from there, selecting on the things that you want to improve, selecting what the habits are that are associated with that, and then kind of picking one or two to initially target. Not not going overboard, not trying to overwhelm yourself by trying to completely uproot everything and quit your job, break up with your friends and your wife and do all these things. Just start small, 
figure out what the things are that you can focus on and then systematically going about addressing those one by one. And I mean, I'd also throw in a, a morning routine in there and that can just help you set yourself up to, to instill these habits. And you can think about how they're going to come into play, figure out where your triggers are. So if it's ice cream or smoking or just getting really, really stressed out, like what are the things that are causing that sure. and being able to address that as opposed to just having them happen to you without having a plan. Awesome, man. I would challenge people based on what you, when you were talking, I was listening, you know, people who think they have to change it all at once and leave their job and divorce and move. But tomorrow morning, make it a, make a morning routine right now and do it tomorrow morning. See how it works. Get your ass up an hour early if you need to, 15 minutes early, 30 minutes early, but do it tomorrow after this call. There's no excuse not to. Even if you're traveling, even if you're moving, tomorrow is your day to do that morning routine. So how does that sound, Chris? That's fantastic. All Perfect. Right, cool. And uh, Pavlock, when's it coming out? What are some details on it? Where can people find out about it? Yeah, people can people can buy it now. Uh, it's shipping going to pavlock.com, which is P-A-V-L-O-K.com. Uh, it's shipping in April or May. People oh. can go on the website, check it all out there. Okay, cool, man. And what about yourself? Do you do any like blogging or personal development stuff or independent? I do. I do some some blogging. People can find me on Twitter. It's just Chris Shelsey. Uh, website, chrisshelsey.weebly.com. But yeah. Okay. And what's your goal with that? Are you... Are you- uh, it's in marketing, PR, uh, and then some, some health paleo philosophy. It's kind of just my ramblings on life. Okay. So just more for fun? Yeah. Cool, man. Well, thanks for coming on the call, Chris. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Clark. Clark.